Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Silvatis podcast. Today, I'm excited to introduce the next guest is a vast understatement. I know I say I'm excited every single week, but I'm genuinely thrilled to introduce Joanne Cobb from Jay Pilates, who is not just my mentor, but also a friend um, to the podcast. And this week we'll be talking about all things Pilates, ranging from contemporary to classical, why every type of person needs to be doing Pilates and what makes a person a good instructor. So thank you so much for joining me, Joe. Thank you for asking me. I'm so honoured. I'm really excited because we have conversations all the time and I always wish that we had magically recorded them because some <laughs> of the stuff that comes up, slightly inappropriate, but also real gems. Oh, I know, I know. I, lo- I'm, I feel very lucky to have you as a friend. Very lucky. We sort of have spanned a long time of friendship and Pilatesness. Absolutely. And so a lot of people won't know that we met back when you were teaching for the Institute way, way long ago. And so you're delivering a lot of the content there. And I had just, I think I was still doing my first degree and thought, I'll do this. I'll be a Pilates instructor and signed up to the course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, I can't even think what year it was. It must have been about 2009, something like that. It was a long time ago. One of your Many qualifications <laughs> that you were undertaking. And one of my many courses that I did with you at a certain point, I think I would have just given you a blank checkbook because <laughs> it was also amazingly packaged and informative. And it was this, I was in this place where I just couldn't get enough. And it was this constant learning that I picked your brain and I was one of those with the, why does this work and why does that why do we do it like that? Why do we lift the head in the hundred? Why do we keep it down? And so if anyone's listening, I was that person on the course. <laughs> but it was brilliant because you asked the questions that everybody else in the room would have been asking and thinking about, but maybe being too frightened to ask. And you, and now it's the reverse. You as an osteo, I come to you and I'm like, Sylvan, what's this? What's that? And it's just fantastic. It's so, so amazing. Let's not give myself too many airs because I hated paperwork, would not complete it. I had to be threatened, literally threatened to complete my paperwork in order to get my qualifications. So let's not allow people to think that I'm some kind of wonderful person. There might be a few bits outstanding still as well. (laughs) I mean, I will get to pre and postnatal training eventually. It's just... It's not going to happen right now. But what I'm interested in is you've, obviously I've seen you develop and develop your own company since then, so much so. What I'm interested in is what happened before Jay Pilates? What led up to you creating your own company and delivering all the content that you do now? Yeah, well, I originally was a primary school teacher and early years teacher and I moved to Ireland and couldn't teach because I need to speak Irish so I went into the fitness industry and then a long story and I got into Pilates and everything but what I think is the skills that I learned as a early years teacher 
they're exactly the same skills that I've carried through to delivering teacher training for adults and are also obviously teaching people Pilates for years now because those skills really are you know the foundation that makes you a great teacher you can be great at Pilates but it's a completely different skill set to actually teaching somebody to do Pilates and that's one of the things that's really important to me when I'm teaching somebody to be helping somebody to become a, a Pilates teacher is it doesn't matter where your personal practice is we need to be continuing to develop our personal practice, continuing to experience Pilates and progress and explore. But the skills to teach somebody else are, are, are different. And, you know, it's, it's one of the things I always say, you know, you look at the, some of the best coaches in the world were never elite in their field. You know, you look at Tony Nadal, who took Rafa Nadal to 16 Grand Slams, his uncle. He's not an elite tennis player. You look at Ash Barty. I mean, obviously, you know, I love playing tennis, but Ash Barty's coach, you know, is, hasn't even got an ATP ranking. And so the skills that we need to encourage somebody to empathize, to create connections are very different from being able to do a fantastic hundred. So those skills that I took from being an early years, a, a child teacher, <laughs> I brought through to, you know, understanding how people learn how I can help them learn and that to me is always at the forefront when I'm creating courses and you know in the middle of, of training with people is how I can get the best out of them and it's not necessarily by them doing the perfect hundred it's by helping them to see how they need to connect to people um, and things like that yeah and that suddenly comes across because I remember when I did my first training course with you way back when you know you talked us through cues on how to teach rather than look at yourself in the mirror and look at how you're doing the move and that struck me because I wasn't expecting that yeah it's it's, it's not a script you know because everybody's so individual and that's why you've got to have a toolbox of different things to say that's why you've got to keep experience the movement yourself but also think okay this is somebody who is very different in their life experience and I have to connect to them to help them find it in themselves or to, you know, to, to open the door for them. But then, you know, they have to, it's like a journey with them. You don't teach Pilates at people, you teach Pilates with them, if, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I feel like as an instructor over the years, my practice and even the way I teach has developed mainly because you change things and you change things in the industry and I think oh that makes more sense or I remember a very salient point where I was queuing very much with muscles for example very early on in my teaching career and you know you introduced the concept of queuing with um and correct me if I'm getting this wrong but queuing with externally like and that just blew my mind in a very I hadn't considered that way, but also I got really annoyed at you because I was so comfortable in the way I was teaching. I thought I had it down. I'm like, yes, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm, you know, it's working. And you're like, well, how about you try this? And I'm like, but this is harder. But I think that that's, that's something really important. And that's, that's something I think we all have to take on board is that we will never know everything. There will always be something that that changes to enhance what we do. And so we need to not always just sit, 
still somewhere. There's always going to be something that can add a little bit more. We're never going to know everything. We need to keep learning. And just that with external queuing, it is hard because you have to not be afraid to make mistakes. You have to, you know, because that when we make a mistake is when we learn. And if if the environment doesn't allow you to make a mistake or to try something it doesn't work, so try something else, you begin to stagnate. And, and that's when people get quite defensive, I think. So you sort of have to, you know, just, just let yourself learn, let yourself absorb. And, and it was like when, when the external queuing came up and sort of like was, was just so amazing. You know, it took me about a, a year of trying it out myself, of trying it on my clients, of before I thought, yes, this is something that I want to add into the training because the research can be there, but there's always going to be research that disagrees. And, you know, so what I like to do is try it myself, see, does it work? Let it sit with me, let it absorb. And I think that's what teachers should do a bit more. They often go on a course and they're like, right, this is it, this is the rules. At the end of the day, you've got to make it your own and you've got to, you know, understand it yourself and be able to explain it back yourself. You can't just have a script. And so I love people to be challenged, to go away and think about things and, you know, let it settle. Let Try and see if it fits in with your voice and your style of teaching. And no, I'm always right. I'm only joking. <laughs> but, but, you know, just... It, you do need to make things your own and because we don't just want robots out there you know because what every single person who walks into us is individual and at the end of the day when somebody comes into your class or comes in for a session with you they but they're buying how you make them feel they already know pilates is great for them you know we've got all the marketing and, and everything so it's you that they need to trust and have a relationship with. And, and therefore you have to be, you know, you have to have integrity. You have to have belief in what you're doing. Um, and so that's why for me as well, it's so important that all of the amazing teachers that I have around me, they all know they can ask any question at all because you have to be able to ask the questions. You have to be able to say, look, I'm not sure on about that. Um, because if you're not sure, it shows. And, and then people lose confidence in me. And I can attest to being on sort of like one day workshops and courses where that element of collaboration and exploration is definitely something you, pre you practice and you preach. So knowing that when I'm on those courses that I can ask those questions or why don't we use a certain word or why are sort of, I'm not even gonna say the C word and it's not the C word that everyone else is thinking about. It's a different type of C word, um, you know? And, and you certainly foster that environment in the courses that you develop. And I feel like you attract people to your courses who are inquisitive in nature, who aren't, very black and white thinking, or this is how I was taught 20 years ago, and this is the way I have to continue to teach. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's something that's really important to me, that, you know, you, you have to be open-minded, you have to be inquisitive, you have to, and it can be hard, and sometimes people do come at first, and, and it does, it can throw you a little bit, it can, you can people can become a little bit defensive you know because i think that's a natural reaction when you feel outside of your comfort zone 
Um, but what's lovely is that if that ever happens, people generally come back to me and they, they sort of say, look, you know, at the time it was a little bit much, but I've had a think and I can really see it's working and I tried it out with a client and, you know, so it's always a journey. It's, it's always progress. It's always movement. We're, ne we're never stuck still. And I think that in, if you can say to yourself, you know, I'm never going to know everything. Things are always going to change or, you know, come full circle sometimes. Um, then and and you know and, and let yourself give yourself permission to just say do you know what we we did this at this point but now we're going to do this and we're going to try this and yeah and that's what keeps everything fresh as well and exciting and and different it's it's brilliant absolutely and it's not to say that you know anyone listening or watching and thinking oh i cue muscles it's not to say that anything that you do is wrong or bad it's just a different way of activating or cueing something so I don't want anyone to feel like, oh, but is that is that wrong because I still do it? Absolutely not. Exactly, exactly. I mean, you may want to explore a different way just because, you know, that that is where we've sort of moved to. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, we try so many different, there's lots of different pathways and different things will, will work with different clients. And so we've almost got to be like a chameleon to be able to sort of adapt and change and, you know, meet the person where they are at that moment. Um, yeah, and, and that's, that's, that's just part of, of what you do as a teacher. You, you are a bit of a chameleon to try and help people get themselves, at, get the best out of themselves. And earlier you mentioned going through a Pilates journey, and I can certainly identify with that, I'm sure, as will a lot of people listening or watching, in that when I started training, I didn't even know there was a difference between classical and contemporary approaches. And I wonder where your teaching fits in with those approaches. Ooh. <laughs> controversial, Jen. I know. It's, it's, it's not in a way, because it's, it's really something I believe very, very strongly with. So first of all, if I sort of define what I see as the differences and then, but remember, this is just my point of view, always. <laughs> according to Joe. Caveat there. So for me, there's sort of three sort of categories in a way. There is archival. So the archival work. And that's where we've got actual documentation of Joe teaching the exercises in this way. So we've got sort of like video footage, we've got the posters that you sort of see, you know, and we've got that. But even then, it's always just a moment in time. So there are, you know, we see Joe teaching different variations of different of the exercises. Then we've got classical. And to me, classical is where it's been verified by one of the elders. In other words, one of the, the, the original people that students of Joseph Pilates. And this is where, you know, you've got Romana's versions of the exercises and Kathy Grant and so on. So that would, to me would be classical. And then we've got contemporary, which is more Pilates inspired or Pilates based. Um, and I don't see that I fit into specifically into any of those categories because, and I'll, I'll explain why. Um, say, for example, somebody came in with a neck 
um, issue, neck pain or stiffness or whatever. And they, they've been cleared to exercise. So I know there's nothing underlying that they need to be referred back to. So I just know they're coming into me with neck, neck pain. And I think a lot of the time what, what Pilates teachers can potentially do is immediately start going to more of that rehab, osteo, physio style exercises. Instead of just saying, okay, I'm a Pilates teacher. This is what I am awesome at. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to look at what Joseph Pilates, any exercises he had for the neck. And what we're going to know is Joseph Pilates was a genius. He was an inventor. But every single thing he already has a piece of equipment apparatus that he invented to help you with. So, you know, say for the neck, we have, you know, the piece of apparatus that goes around the head that helps strengthen the neck. And as a boxer, really, really important, you know, that strong neck. So already we've got exercises there that he created to strengthen and align the neck. Um, we've got the magic circle series with for the head neck position. So already you've got, you know, exercises from Joseph Pilates that you can use to help this client. Then I'd look at, okay, in within the Pilates exercises, within the repertoire, how can I enhance their neck alignment, their strength, and so on? So, for example, the 100, I might think, okay, I'm going to keep them lying down on their back, keep the head down, but I'm going to get them to gently press the back of the head into the neck, into the mat, sorry. So it strengthens the back line of the body to help them carry their head better. Um, and I'd look at, as they're doing the exercises, when do they lose the alignment of the head? When do they stop being able to carry their head on top of the spine? So I'm staying within my sphere of Pilates. I don't need to go onto YouTube and tap in neck mobility exercises, which is fine if you do, but I want to stay with with the essence of Pilates. And I may add in a little bit of, I may sort of enhance a Pilates exercise like the 100 to encourage greater focus of the, the head and neck position. But I don't need to take it so far outside of Pilates that it doesn't even seem to be anything like it. So I don't know if I've explained that well enough, but that is sort of like how I see myself that, I, I, it's really important to me that people, Pilates teachers know Joseph Pilates' work. or and, and we don't know everything yet. I'm still learning so much from some of the classes I take, like with Elaine Ewing and sort of seeing, you know, the archival work that she brings to the classes. And, you know, so I'm constantly learning new things and looking at video footage and so on. Um, but that's always my first port of call. And then I might add in, you know, a lovely release or, or so on later on in the class. But I sort of tend to make sure that I try and stay within my sphere of Pilates. So it's really hard in a way because I sort of, when when I'm teaching, I, you know, you when in our sessions, I'll be like, oh, this is, you know, a, what Joseph Pilates used to do. Or I might say, this is a variation that I've seen from Kathy Grant or, you know, not, you know, that I've seen, from, from the sort of work I've been able to do with Blossom Crawford and, and Maria Earl, who are protégés of, of Cathy Grant. And, and so sort of, yeah, I try and stay within the sphere that I'm trained in and that I love. I don't need to try and be something else and be, 
you know, a rehab or clinician, you know, I, I stay with what I, what I love and what I'm good at. So yeah, I don't know if that has answered the question. So I don't sort of fit into a box. I know I, I work to know Joseph Plate's work. I work to, I love the elders variations and interpretations and, and their knowledge and what they've brought. And then I love to be a little bit creative, a little bit, you know, my own voice in it, but it always spins around the Plate's sphere, if that makes sense. And that certainly comes across, especially when we've done sessions together or when I've done a course with you, you will always understand where something comes from and credit that individual or that learning style. And so, like you mentioned earlier, I think we've done a couple of sessions together where you're like, oh, this is a variation of this person. And that to me is demonstrative of, you know, your history. Mm. And, and I think that's, I think it's so important to know where you've come from and where, where the words come from and respect it. And because at the end of the day, I know some people might say that the, you know, the original work is not suitable for today's population. It so is. I think that's where often people don't see the full picture. You know, Joseph Pilates was was a genius, but you know, you just look at the footwork on Reformer, look at how important that is. Um, and all the pieces of, of apparatus he has around the foot to strengthen the foot. And, and that's where I always start when somebody comes in with back problems or shoulder problems, I'll generally start at the feet. And, and you know, it, the work is already there for us. And, and I think sometimes people just see the original work as being far too advanced. But actually, if you delve deeper, all the foundations are there. It's just, I think, sometimes with social media and, you know, the, the advanced stuff looks more exciting. But actually, without the foundation of the underlying work and, you know, dedication of, of the, that, those essential exercises, you know, the other stuff, ah, it just looks fancy. <laughs> and it does it looks great on social media and on instagram for example and i remember anytime i'm abroad and i can take a class i'll always try and take what they class as a beginner's type class yeah because i know i'm going to get the foundational movements and i'm just going to feel the work rather than feel like i'm performing the work yeah 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 exactly 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 and you know knowing it sounds ridiculous but knowing where my little toe is half the time is one of the hardest things for me, you know. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I think I think yeah. That's that's what's so important for me is is knowing because I think in knowing that you can be creative, but with integrity. In knowing what your what you've come from, you have that integrity, and you can be creative, but you can always pull it back to this is why I'm doing something, not just because oh I saw it on YouTube and it just looked great. You know, that's that's fine as well, of course. <laughs> and it's such a testament because I remember um as an osteopath, so obviously I trained as a Pilates instructor first with you, then became an osteopath, which can I just say you were the most supportive person <laughs> of me going through that process. Oh, 
And just knowing that I could have you at the end of the phone to be, literally, I remember calling you crying because the course is so hard and I was having, you know, not just the academic stuff, but the, the movement stuff, it's all integrated. And, and a lot of the times I was being asked to sort of, um, as an osteopath, I was asked to deliver clinical Pilates sort of sessions. And I remember being on the phone with you being like, I don't understand what they want from that. And I feel like they might not understand what Pilates is to then reframe it as clinical Pilates because that made very little sense to me and it went against what I'd been trained in. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so having you as somebody, as a reference to be able to bounce those ideas and conversations and, 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 and maintain that integrity of what I wanted to teach and how I wanted to teach was huge for me. Yeah, and, and I think, I think you know, in, in around 1996, 98, when, you know, the core was born and neutral spine came into play and all these sort of concepts, which were, as, as we know, sort of taken a little bit maybe out of the context that they were originally you know, shown in. Um, I think that Pilates was then has now got this image of being about where the pelvis is about, you know, being not as that integrated whole body work that that we know it as. And so for me, I think, you know, it's important that people do see just how just what a genius he was and how we can, you know, any age of person, you know, he talks so much about children, all the elders, you know, Carola, Kathy, Romana, so well known for working with children and having children in their studios. And, you know, Carola wrote a book for children. Um, and, and, you know, I sort of think that Pilates was taken as being so great for, for back pain, but it also in a way lost its whole body work. I don't know if I'm being fair saying that, but to me, that's when people say, oh, clinical glass, I sort of think, oh, it, it has it, is that what they mean? Just that focusing on fixing the pelvis and so on. And, you know, it's it, it loses that whole body work and its ability to be so versatile for any person, you know? And so when you talk about the versatility aspect of it for any person, you're talking about any type of person, like any type of body, for example, or? Definitely, definitely. You know, I think, and again, I sort of think, you know, a lot of it is to do with the sort of media around Pilates, that it's a certain type of person that, you know, should be doing Pilates or is going to be good at Pilates, whereas Pilates is phenomenal for children, for larger people, for, you know, older people, for people with different conditions, for men, for it's, you know, it's, it's for everybody. And I think, you know, that's really important. I think sometimes as well with our marketing, we need to make sure we're, we're showing that, that it's, it's so diverse. Well, we want to have diversity um, because it's amazing for everybody. Everybody can, feels epic doing Pilates and and that's what you know the message we want to get across really and one of the things you do often is repost from other accounts on Instagram and one of those that I started following is from Fat Body Pilates 
and she's wonderful. I love her account. I wonder, do you approach your teaching differently according to the person in front of you, say, if they are a larger client or if they, they're a male, for example, or if they've had a certain condition which prevents them from doing something in particular? Yeah, definitely. I think one of the things that can be quite, um, you can easily fall into the trap of is thinking, okay, I've got a larger client coming in. They need to do this or they can't do this. They can't do this. They can't do this. What I tend to do is when somebody first comes in, I just watch them take their shoes off, put their bag down. Do you know what I mean? Sort of like see how they move in their just natural way of just walking into a room. Because I think we need to be careful not to fall into the trap of always thinking, okay, so this person is a certain size, so they're not going to be able to do this and they're going to struggle to do this. Because that just isn't the way it is. I think we always need to look at people as individuals, meet them where they are and think, do you know what? I'm going to celebrate you, what you can do now. And we might change movement a little bit. We might be able to get a little bit lower down in our roll up, but we've got to be careful sometimes that our preconceptions don't dictate how we teach somebody. Um, So in a way, you know me, I'm a great planner. I love to plan. Um, So I'll have, you know, my thoughts on what I want to do, but they are very flexible and allow me to just, you know, I, I loved, I need to have structure, but I also make sure that there's space to just see the individual. Um, you know, because I think, you know, a, a, a big preconception, say, with a larger person is, okay, they're not going to be able to do a teaser on Reformer. Whereas you look at Fat Body Pilates, she is incredible. Um, you know, her movement is incredible. So, yeah, I always try not to have that preconception. I mean, there are certain things um, just, you know, for say like men, they generally are less mobile than women, but that might not be the case. I mean, the one thing I must say, they don't like to take their socks off, as we know. <laughs> I might have to do, because I had somebody else, another a guy the other day, wouldn't take his socks off. So maybe it is a thing. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one, though, because I have been on courses and classes for years. You're like, take your socks off. And I'm like, nope, <laughs> I'm not taking my socks off. I just don't. It's just not going to happen. And so even when I teach, I always have socks on. <laughs> and then I have people approach, come up to me soon. They're like, oh, do we do it with socks on or off? And I'm like, I don't, I don't mind what you do. I just don't want my feet exposed to the world. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I, think, I think that um, even, even sticky socks, I don't mind. I need to see your feet. I need to see what they're doing. But no, but I, I think because that going back to this and sort of like, you know, the way we teach people and so on. This is one of the things I think that's really important when somebody comes in with a condition, because too often I think people are like, OK, they've got this condition. They'll go on Google or they'll and they're like, OK, this is what they can and can't do. But actually, you have to see the individual, not the condition, because you miss things otherwise you you can restrict them because 
you're afraid or do you know what I mean? Whereas actually in their daily lives, they're doing a lot of things, but obviously we also want to keep people safe. So it is a balancing thing, but you very much think, okay, you know, what do they want to do? What can they do? And, and it's all about a conversation a lot of the time. You've got to allow the space for them to be able to talk to you as well and, and have that communication. That was one of the things that I wanted to talk to you. How important is, you know, your communication style or the way you approach things or your own demeanor in not just teaching, but being able to relate to people? Um, how important is that as an instructor, holding yeah. your own classes, teaching your own classes? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so important. I think, I think in a way it's more important than you teaching a brilliant shoulder bridge, you know, is is the way you make, we help people to feel. You want, I mean, I, I, you know, I always say this, every time you leave my class, I want you to feel epic. I want you to feel amazing. Even if you just lifted an eyebrow, do you know what I mean? It's like, that is, is how I want you to feel. I want you to feel incredibly safe in the environment. I want you to feel confident. I want, you know, because it's an, it's an, it's time for you, first of all, where you're, in you know you're with me in my company um and we're we're doing pilates together and we're seeing we're celebrating what your body can do and also hopefully helping you to feel epic and and you know and i think that's really important and that's as an instructor we need to be careful we don't nitpick too much because that can just completely destroy that that sense of of you know, of celebration of what you can do and an achievement. Um, whereas, and so sometimes I think we're always looking for, okay, you can do that level. I now need to get you to this level. Whereas actually you've got to allow time for people to think, look at me doing this, look at how far I've come, look at, you know, and so our language needs to be very positive. Our, the way that we, you know, we, we help people to move. We want to always make sure that we're, we're being careful of how we we say things, you know? Yeah, like more encouraging in that respect. And and I think, and correct me if, if I've got this wrong, but I feel like the times that I'm with you or on a course with you, you also use silence really importantly in that you're not quick to shout out a cue or give a cue. You sort of use that silence to let people or, or whoever's in the course explore figure it out. And then if they don't figure out, then you're suggesting something or you're offering a cue that might get them to that place. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think that's what you have to do because otherwise, I think one of the things that's really important is I don't want people relying on me, which I don't know if that's that makes sense. I want you to be self, have self-responsibility in your movement. And if I'm constantly saying, we're going to do this now. We're going to do this now. I want you to do this. You've got to give people that choice, that autonomy, that they come with you, not you dragging them along sort of thing. And so I think that's really important that you, you allow people to find their way and maybe help them a little bit, maybe to see things, you know, to move a little bit differently. But yeah, I think it's got to be self-responsibility. And that's one of the things for me as well is that, as Pilates teachers, you have to do Pilates. You have to take this. I know everybody's really busy, but 
10 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day, you know, just doing that. I'm really lucky. I have, I have my fabulous friend, Brooke Siler, who I train with three times a week. And that gives me, you know, it makes me do my workout when sometimes I don't want to. And, and, you know, we work out to, together. I teach you and, and, you know, but you give me so many ideas when we're doing stuff. It's always collaborative, but I think that's what it is. I think whoever comes into your class, it has to be a collaboration. Um, and so I think our language has to encourage that, you know, it should be, can you feel this in, is this, how's this feeling for you? Can you do this? Not put yourself in this position, do that, do this, you know? Yeah, and some of the best classes that I've taught are the ones where one, clients will ask me, why are we doing this? Which spurs on some conversation, um, but also when clients are like, can we do this instead? Or instead of this variation, can we do that variation? Because it demonstrates to me, one, that they remembered it, which is huge because I barely remember some stuff myself. I have to have a piece of paper with me or now it's my phone on me. Um, and half the time I feel like, you know, if they can retain it, they don't need me there. In, in essence, they can walk into any studio anywhere in the world, go onto a piece of apparatus or onto the mat and then just do it on their own. Yeah, exactly. And that really is the stage we want to be at. You know, I used to I used to hate it when I was a personal trainer and I'd see, you know, people would be like, I'd be stood next to them on a treadmill while they ran because they just wanted me there to make sure. And to me, that's just boring. You know, it's, it's, I'm not, I'm like just babysitting you on your run. That's not me really helping you. I mean, obviously, you know, whatever, but that's the whole thing is really, we want people to become self-proficient and go off and do the work themselves, come to us when they need a little bit more guidance or refreshing or whatever. But really we want people to have that responsibility that, they do the work themselves. And that aligns so well to the way I practice osteopathy in that I want people to see me as little as possible because that means, you know, you're doing all the right stuff on your own. You're coming to see me for a little bit of nudging or a bit of guidance on a particular type of exercise or you need a, a particular type of hands-on approach that might be sort of symptom modification, something like that. But yeah. the less you see me as an osteopath, the better. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think some people worry that therefore they're going to lose business. But I don't, you, you don't. You open yourself up for being having more business, I think. And one of the things I loved in our sessions when, when we work out is, you know, you'll, you'll be saying to me, but well, we'll be doing an exercise day on the tower. And you're like, oh, this would be amazing. And you bring that osteopathic is would that be a word sort of knowledge to the pilates exercise and you're like oh this and it just marries so well um and and it's it's just amazing it's great i mean from my account i tore my meniscus late last year and one of the things i did was i'm like okay i'm gonna do pilates yeah and i tried doing it on the mat and i was like this isn't working so I remember coming into the studio and be like, okay, Joe, this is me. I'm in your hands. I will do whatever. I mean, I say I'll do whatever you want me to, but let's do it. <laughs> as soon as I said, okay, should we have a little look at footwork? Nope, I'm not doing that. <laughs> Refuse to get on a reformer with my meniscus injury just because I'm stubborn, not because it hurts or anything. 
Because <laughs> we did actually do work on the tower, which was probably harder than on the reformer, but it's fair enough because you have to come with me. And I think if I made you do it, you wouldn't have enjoyed it. You, I know your face when you <laughs> stop and going, not doing it. So there's no point me pushing it. And, and it's interesting because this, this goes back to what I sort of said at the beginning. For me, I'm not an osteo. I don't know enough at all about a meniscus tear. That is not my speciality. My speciality is Pilates. So all I needed to do was bring you into the studio, watch you move, move and think, okay, I can see how you're, you know, veering much more off that side. So we're going to work above and below the injury so that we stay pain free. We built your confidence I, I think you felt great. You seem to anyway. But you know, the fact is, is that I want, I don't need to try and fix your knee. What I need to do is move your whole body so that it provides the environment for you to fix it yourself. Do you know what I mean? That's what we do is we provide an environment that allows the body to heal itself because the body's amazing. It's phenomenal. And or you and or if you need further intervention 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 you you know you go somewhere else but that's not my speciality but the work that we did is opening up your back of opening up the hips just made you feel great because everything was tensing up you know and and you weren't moving because of the injury so yeah that's I don't have to I think sometimes Pilates teachers feel they have to be something that they're not and fix people. And actually we just need to do Pilates with them in that pain-free range and, and just allow people to move and, and as I say, find their confidence and, and their movement. Yeah. Amazing because everything you're saying aligns so well to osteopathy in terms really? of creating an environment for the body to heal itself. That's one of the principles, aligning yeah. pain-free movement, just allowing the body to move and yeah. the body fixes itself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could practically be an osteopath already. <laughs> I wish. No, that's why I've got you. You give all that to me. Um, but it, it is, and I think that's, but again, that goes back to what I think of Joseph Pilates. He looked at natural, spontaneous movement that was done joyfully. Um, you know, that's, like what he starts you know return to life with um his book and you know that's really what we're looking for people to do we want people to move naturally to move spontaneously and and with with joy and confidence and and that's really what we want um and it's not about the performance it's about how it feels um and yeah, yeah. Which is why I love that you don't have mirrors in your studio because it's not about the performance. And it took me a very long time to get on board because I had mirrors in my first studio. And I was like, no, people need to see what they're doing. Actually, maybe they don't. And maybe maybe it's better that they don't. Yeah. yeah. And then we're all fixated on like the little stain on our T-shirt or the little toe that tends to wiggle out of, of, of place. <laughs> exactly. And, and I think, you know, that, I mean, that's again, my point of view but I do, I hate looking at myself in a mirror you know I, I it's just but as well it, it for me a mirror would be a tool that you might bring out I probably never would because I think you've got to feel the work and 
And that feeling is, is, is great. You know, you when we feel we move well or move better than when we first came in, oh, it's the best feeling in the world. And that really kins to how, you know, whilst we can get the physical benefits of Pilates through that movement, through the strength, through, through using sort of apparatus springs on the mat, I think what I got from the sessions from you is that mental health benefit. I got that hour to switch off did not look at my phone at all. And I felt amazing afterwards. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, that to me is, is just, it's so important. Um, you know, I mean, that mind, I mean, Joseph Pilates talks about the mind and the body being in balance. And, but that is it. It's not just the physical benefits. It's, it's it is exactly what you're saying. It's that ability to just, de-stress I, I don't like saying the world relax because it you know it's it, it's you're you're moving still but you are just letting yourself settle and just taking a, I mean it's all about breath Pilates but you are just taking not just a physical breath but a mental breath I think so for me you know Joseph Pilates talks about returning the body to life that oxygenation and so on but it, it's a mental breath that you're taking, I think. Um, and you can you can dial up your workout if you want, but I think so often most people need to almost dial it down just to allow themselves just to settle into that, that rest, digest, you know, and just recover mode. Um, and that's what you can do through the fluidity of the movement. It doesn't mean to say you just lie there, but it's that flow, it's that, yeah, it's, it's, it's the mental breath, not just the physical breath that, that I think Pilates gives us. And everything that you're talking about using the breath work and using the flow of movement, you know, all relates to that rest and digest, increasing the parasympathetic systems in our body to be able to sort of downregulate or upregulate as it needs to, to be able to heal and rest and digest, as you mentioned earlier. So that's so attuned to osteopathy you have no idea everything that you're saying is stuff that I've been saying or I've been hearing from <laughs> colleagues or tutors for years and it's amazing to hear it from another discipline and be so interrelated yeah yeah and I think I think sometimes with Pilates the breath has been because Joe gave us a pattern of breathing in his book inhale do this exhale do this um, I think people take it a little bit too um, rote, whereas actually what, what I've learned from different elders and from, from people is that he didn't particularly teach a breathing pattern. It was more the quality of your breath than the actual where and when of your breath. Um, and so for me, I think, you know, instead of us thinking you've got to breathe in here, breathe out here, it should be about the quality of the breath, that the breath just stays continuous. We're not holding our breath. It's movement of the breath. And one of the things you mentioned earlier was, you know, the qualities that make a good instructor. And I wonder if you can sort of just recap on what makes a person a good instructor rather than what makes a person a good Pilates practitioner. Yeah, and to me, they are very different. I mean, people can aspire to doing the advanced work and so on, but it certainly shouldn't restrict somebody from becoming a Pilates teacher because they think they can't do the advanced work, in my opinion. 
Um, because to be a good Pilates teacher, you have to have the person skills. You know, you have to, or we have to, you know, encourage those skills. And, you know, so being inspiring confidence, the rapport with people, meeting people where they are, um, being fun, allowing people to not be perfect. And, you know, is is so important to me that you you want people to feel epic in your class. And, 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 you know, yes, we should never stop doing our own Pilates because, you know, when I do an exercise, I'm like, ah, this might work for somebody else. This, as I'm doing it, I'm thinking, oh, I need to work a bit more here. I wonder if that helps somebody else. And so it gives me more teaching tools, but, you know, that the importance is, is that, is the ability to use external cueing or use or, or, or have the rapport with somebody that, you know, if they love golf, I'm going to start using golf, you know, terms or referring to their golf play. Because at the end of the day, people buy you as the teacher. They already know Pilates is great, but what makes you different from somebody else is, is you and your individuality, your style, your voice. And, and that's really what you should never try and hide, I think. You know, you should, you know, people come to my classes knowing I teach a certain way and that's why they come to me and I'm not going to be everybody's cup of tea. So, and that's fine, you know. Um, so, yeah, and, and knowing that that's okay is really important. Yeah. And I wonder then if you, if there is anyone listening and, uh, you know, an instructor or a classes teacher and they're feeling a bit stuck. Yeah. Where do they go? What do they do? How do they change something? Yeah, well, first of all, you come and become a Jay Pilates associate. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sylvan. I will pay you later for that. But I think, yeah, you just, you can, you know, as, I've, as I sort of say, I think the most important thing for me with the Pilates teachers I've trained and worked with is that I'm there always for them. And so with your teacher training, you deliver both training on mat and the equipment or the apparatus. How important is it for you for people to be comprehensively trained in both modalities? Mm, that's a good question. Um, it's really hard because I, I didn't train in equipment for years. Um, I didn't need to, my classes were full. The studios I had, you know, were mat only with small equipment, obviously. Um, and I didn't have space to have a reformer, have, you know, the tower and so on. So I didn't train for years um, when I was when I was first teaching. But I think it, it can be so dependent on the circumstances. I think a lot of people feel they have to be equipment trained, um, but they haven't got the equipment to practice and explore and consolidate the 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 learning on um but it you know pilates is a system you know if you know when when somebody comes in i want to be able to say to them okay do you know what today we're just going to work on the foot corrector or we're going to start on the tower and because really i think you know yes the mat is your heart and soul um i can't remember who said that but mat heart and soul of pilates and then, you know, the equipment enhances that and helps you get to your mat. For me, I think, do you know what it is actually, Sylvan? Mat is the hardest. 
And I think a lot of people don't realize that. Your, the mat work is the hardest thing because there's nothing to push and pull against. There's nothing to give, there's not a lot to give you feedback. Whereas when you're on the reformer or on the tower, you can, you push, you pull, you're supported by the piece of apparatus. Um, and so I think that, you know, yeah, it, it's, it's a really hard one because knowing the equipment completes your learning in a way. But I completely understand that people might not have the space for the equipment. They might have not the financial, you know, finances to be able to afford the equipment. When you do have the equipment, it might restrict the amount of people you can have in for your mat. And, um, you know, so there's loads of different elements. And often people phone me and ask, you know, they, they might be a bit stuck. They feel they've taught mat for years. Where do they go? But, you know, actually doing the equipment might not be the best thing for them or something which, you know, so I can't really answer that because I sort of think it's really individual to the teacher. Ideally, you would learn everything. We would have all this in our homes or studios. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's not for everyone. So I think one of the things that's quite good, though, is you can replicate so much. It's not the same, but you can replicate-ish a lot of the equipment exercises using small equipment. Obviously, I've got a workshop on that. <laughs> I remember doing that workshop. But, um, you know, so I think you can gain the knowledge that way. But yeah, and I think especially, do you know what, in the UK as well, I think it's different from different areas in the rest of the world. You know, we have a great mat Pilates industry here. You know, it really, there's so much mat Pilates. It's great. So, you know, I think I think it's it's okay to do your mat and stay within your mat and you know and 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 be that. Um, so yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. And when I started doing my equipment training with you, it expanded what you understood and knew, and then it also helped me relate to what my intention was using small equipment. So why am I using a mini ball here? Why am I using a foam roller to assist in a swan dive? Oh, I'm replicating the push through bar. That makes sense. Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. But you know, the other thing is, which I think is a shame, is that when people think of Pilates equipment, immediately the reformer. And I'm gonna say this, probably shouldn't, but the reformer is my least favorite piece of equipment, <laughs> which probably I'm going to be struck by a bolt of lightning saying that. But, it, you know, I love the chair. It is it's um, the most incredible piece of equipment to create strength. And, and it's so adaptable for your older client, for pregnant clients. It's phenomenal. I love the barrels you know, which are smaller pieces. And these pieces are really affordable. And you don't, you know, they can just tuck away in a corner. Um, so I sort of feel that a lot of people think of the studio equipment straight away, Reformer, Cadillac, the big pieces, whereas actually having a chair and a barrel, phenomenal. The work you can get to help people. And, you know, you can always put them in a circuit style class if, if you want to retain a bit of mat and you don't want to just, keep yourself to one-to-ones. You can still put it into a, a group environment. Um, just takes a bit of planning, yeah. I remember you saying that way back when about 
you know, Reformer not being your most favorite piece. And I think I had soon done my Reformer um, training with you. And I looked at you, I'm like, wait, what? I don't know. Obviously, I did. I still love Reformer, anybody who's coming for Reformer training. <laughs> but I think with, with, in hindsight and with, you know, years of practice now, I would agree. I, I'm not the biggest fan of the Reformer. Reformer for me is, okay, you warm up, get on another piece of equipment because that's where the fun happens. And for me, it's always been Cadillac and Tower. Yes. And so that's the first thing. When I come into your studio, I don't even do anything. I go straight to the tower. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, so we're starting here, are we? Um, but um, I mean, and obviously, I love Reformer. It's almost like trying to say which your favorite child is, <laughs> which obviously there's no favorite child. Um, <laughs> tell me after we stop filming. It's fine. Um, <laughs> But it's true. I think the industry has been so synonymous with reformer type classes that anyone coming into a Pilates class with equipment will automatically associate that with the reformer. And I think there are so many other ways to work within the system that work you just as well, if not better. Yeah. So I, I completely hear where you're coming from. And I agree with you. We just have different pieces that we love. <laughs> I like the chair, give me a tower any day. Um, but it's been so lovely to be able to, to talk to you, to pick your brains, because these are things that I've been wanting to talk to you and, and ask you for, for ages now. I'm wondering, who inspires you? Where do you derive your inspiration from? Because there is so much content that you do deliver in terms of the courses and the workshops and then the convention once a year. Or now you've termed it the Pilates party. Yeah. Well, no, now it's we've got a winter convention and a summer. Next oh, there you go. Where do you derive inspiration from? Because you're it, it looks like you're delivering content all the time. Mm. As a person looking at your website and now being on your website, I'm yeah. wondering where does all this come from? How do you sustain that? Yeah, I mean. First of all, I sort of like, I constantly do classes myself with people that I hugely admire. Um, so I'm always sort of getting, getting refreshed and, you know, getting energized by the great people that I'm lucky enough to, to take classes with. But, but also I think it's, it's, it's the teachers I work with, you know, I think having an open communication with people, so many people say to me, can you let me know how to do this? Or I've got this client, can you help me with this? Or do you know what I mean? And so I'm sort of the people who come on my courses help me create the content because they'll ask me questions of, you know, for example, the recent one was the Pilates hand workshop I did because I was just like, oh my goodness, you know, so many people say they've got weak wrists, you know, and I'll be teaching the online reformer classes and people are like, oh, circling their wrists. And I'm like, okay, so why is this, what's happening with the wrist? Because I think a lot of the time, sometimes, you know, people say, oh, this one hurts my wrist. And there can be a tendency to just say, okay, let's, let's take you off your wrist then. Whereas actually you've then, I think, got to take a step back and think, okay, I need to help them solve this, not just avoid it. And so, you know, I then went off and I researched and I looked at, first of all, Joseph Pilates, number one, the beanbag device. He's already got wrists and hand strength covered before I even think about it. But then, you know, I, I, it evolves and then I can think, OK, let's look at the anatomy. Let's then think about in the exercises what we can use. I looked at Kathy Grant stuff. She always used small balls holding them. Do you know what I mean? So that helps me create the content. And then I spend time 
thinking about things. I'll walk the dog and I'll be like, oh, we can do that to help strengthen that alignment. And, and so I get my inspiration from other teachers that come to me that ask me questions. I get inspiration from amazing people. And I must say, that's the one thing with the pandemic, the silver lining was the how we've been able to do classes with people that we'd never normally do them with. I couldn't go to the States and train with people, but I've been able to do these Zoom classes and Zoom courses, which just been amazing. Um, so that is the one good thing. But, you know, and I get inspiration like from my sessions with you, you know, you'll be like, we'll be doing something. You're like, oh, this is for this. And, and you bring that osteopathic knowledge. And I'm like, wow, now I'm going to translate it and just flip it a little bit more into a Pilates sense, you know, and so and, and it's the thing is, Sylvan, is I love my job. I absolutely love what I do. And I, I think I'm very lucky in that because I can, you know, I'm never bored and I'm always excited in something new that I'm going to do and, you know, how it's going to help people or help teachers or, yeah. But it's also slightly nerve wracking sometimes because I think, is this going to land well or the external queuing was always <laughs> when I introduced that. Ooh, that was a tumbleweed moment for a lot of people when I said, we might not want to cue muscles so much, we can go external. But um, yeah, I think, um, I think that's it. I think I'm inspired by the people around me. And, and that's why I'm very lucky. I'm surrounded and I surround myself with people who are open-minded and positive and and I'm incredibly lucky for that so thank you for that <laughs> and that genuinely comes across in your courses in your classes is that genuine love for the work that you do but also the passion behind it and the excitability about it um, and that's infectious and then that's what you walk away from so I'll walk away from just a session with you, for example, but think of three different clients that I know that I can apply some of this stuff with. Oh, that's... And that gets me excited. Yeah. It makes yeah. me a bit of money too. I'm not going to lie. But yeah, and, and you know, I think that, that we're just, we just have the best jobs in the world, you know? And, and I think that, yeah, there's certain days where you're like, whoo, and it's like, okay, game face on, and the curtain rises, and out we go. But... It is, it is an amazing, rewarding job, you know, just to, to help somebody feel better. You know, I think, I think actually I was reading something in, um, on holiday last week about the ancient Greeks and how supposedly one of the fundamental human instincts is the, the, the pleasure in, in helping somebody um, is something that, yeah, I know that might go off on what, but I can't no, remember the word for it. But it was like the joy that we derive from helping somebody um, is, is a real basic instinct. <laughs> and it's a universal instinct. In Indian culture, at least in Hindi, it's called Shiva. And that means you do something for somebody else, but without expectation of anything in return. Yeah. And so being an instructor almost feels like you're doing some of that work. Yeah. And in return, you get all these ideas and you get this, the pleasure of being around people too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's always a two-way thing. You know, as I say, I'll be delivering a workshop, but somebody will bring their experience in and you're like, wow, and that will lead you on to something else. And, 
So, you know, it's always a sharing experience. And, and that, I think, that's where it's that human contact that it just really speaks to, you, to your heart, doesn't it? <laughs> I so enjoyed spending this time with you. And I we could literally just record the next three hours and I'd be able to publish most of it. But um, for anyone... By the way, I haven't sworn. I've done really well. You have, I'm usually the first one to swear on a podcast, so you've done really well. And so if anyone's listening or watching and they'd like to take one of your courses or get in touch, where can they find you? Either your website or on social media? Yeah, so the website is jpilates.co.uk. And Instagram is at jpilatesuk. And you can always phone me or email me. I love to chat. Generally, I'll be on a dog walk and we can chat away. And yeah, we normally have our chats on the dog walk. Absolutely. And I will get you on TikTok eventually. It's just going to take some time. Stop. Stop. Thank you so much for your time today, Joe. And we're going to have to get you back on because there's so many more questions I have. Oh, Sylvan, thank you. It's been such an honour. You know how highly I think of you. And I think these podcasts that you do are phenomenal. You're amazing. Thank you. I just talk to people smarter than me. So it helps when you're that smart. (laughs) Thanks. Take care. Bye.